2: I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Isretel. But there's a twist. Mike Isretel will be interviewing me. I did a post a while back on Instagram. Uh, where I talked about some of the uh, psychological stuff that I, that I experienced on a daily basis um, that I could associate with my weight. And Mike asked me, have you ever discussed this in depth? And I, and I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, I have questions for you. And I said, great. I'm not going to waste my time answering your questions on a phone call. Let's do a podcast. So here he is. For maybe his fifth appearance on our show, and we are quickly becoming the Corys in real life, I bring you Mike Izratel interviewing me. Dr. Mike Izratel, welcome to American Glutton Podcast. You're the most recurring guest I've ever had. That sucks. It's like a recurring
3: infection. It's the greatest thing. It makes me so happy. Yeah. You show up to your doctor. He's like, you got Mike Izzertal again. And
2: I just think you're not washing your hands enough. That's po- probably true. Mm. Um, how did? What is the genesis of this one? I made a post that talked about um, something psychological that I was dealing with uh years ago, while I was much over much more over fat than I am mm-hmm. now, I like that term <laughs> yeah i know I've, I've stolen it from you i've appropriated thank it. you that's fucked up and then you said have you ever has anybody ever talked to you about this stuff which hadn't happened and so that's what we're doing today,
3: yeah, yeah, so today we flip the script and I interview you
2: yeah I love it i'm very i'm love it now but this. you haven't
3: heard these questions yet,
2: I know. <laughs> But we could say moments ago we talked shit to each other and it was pure joy. It was great. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you've got you've saved the real stuff for this.
3: Yeah, this is really stuff for me to tell my grandkids. Like
2: back in my day, I talked smack straight to a Hollywood celebrity.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have shit to say back either. Yeah, I
2: didn't. Um,
3: we can go full depth here. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about whatever you want. I'm just going to start ratting these off. Okay. And if I have any sub questions, I'll keep going. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Did you like food as a kid? And what kind of food memories can you share with us that really stick in your mind as like, like I have food memories as a kid of like my first trip to McDonald's in Moscow, Russia or whatever. Uh, what do you, how did you think about food as a kid? Did you like food as a kid? Was it a big part of your life? Was it kind of like, oh, I was just a kid and it was fuel. What do you think?
2: No. Um, yes, I liked food a lot. I, I, my first memory of food strangely is, um, the first time food was restricted and, Mm. and it's somewhat bizarre also because I also remember the thing that was being restricted was my favorite food which was lasagna, specifically my grandfather's lasagna. I can't, I was five, so I don't know how many times I'd had that. They lived in Vermont, I lived in Los Angeles. But I had clearly had it before because I remember being really excited. The house, I went to visit them and it was just me alone with my grandparents for the first time. And uh, and I got a small serving and I went to get another serving, and I was Jesus. told, no. Age five. Age five. So, mm. you know, my... Obviously, my relationship with food became very weird, and there were points. I I became uh, super interested in cooking at one point. As a kid? No. Okay. N- never as a kid. As a kid, I... I loved food and I think that the the fact that it it began being withheld from me at a young age um, altered my relationship with it. How? Um, To your best ability to speculate. Yeah. I believe that, and it started right then. um, First of all, this had two effects. I was let to know that there was something wrong with my body. Which Implicitly or explicitly? Explicitly. Oh, wow. I was fat. Uh, Who said this to you? My grandparents. It was a failing of my parents. They said this. um, And that I had to get... To, I had This had to be taken... This had to be controlled. Something had to be done. So I had this thing that I loved withheld from me. And I found... Immediately, in fact, that night as I was clearing the table that I could sneak this. And so as I'm clearing the table, I'm taking handfuls of lasagna off my grandparents plate and shoving it in my mouth and dry swallowing without chewing much just because it was like, I really want this. Forbidden things become more desired, too, especially when you're a kid. Yeah. So I think that was kind of how my relationship with food progressed. And did your grandparents continue to be a part of your childhood for, for some time? Yes, uh, but I was only with them for like two weeks at that point. But I, I will say the difference between... This was like um, day one. I, I get there late at night, kind of a blur. Day one is magical in my memory. I'm outside playing all this stuff. They suggest a walk. We walk down to a cemetery this is how I remember it. To but, a cemetery. But anyway. like, it's... Everything. You're going to be here if you keep eating, you <laughs> Well, the, it wasn't... It didn't take that turn until dinner. <laughs> sure. But sure. at dinner, like, literally my memory is this fairy book thing of like, the cemetery was even alluring on day one. And on day two, when I was awoken and told, no, you must go on this walk every day down to the cemetery, the cemetery in my memory becomes this dark and scary thing that I don't no longer want to walk to. And nothing to do with the death or whatever. It's just that you have to do this thing because you're broken somehow. Yeah.
3: Good God. And did they have an influence on how your parents were treating your food environment? Did they kind of nudge them to be like, oh, get this kid reined in?
2: Yes. And it was not super obvious at first um, because I don't think my parents my parents certainly didn't communicate with me this, the way that my, my grandparents were very curt and blunt Mm. about it. You're fat. Your parents have failed. uh, Something must be done about this. My, my parents go to, um, was, we're all just going to eat healthy now. So it's just going to be healthy food in the house.
3: Did your parents struggle with weight at all or no? Uh,
2: eventually my mother did, but not, not at the time. Not at the time. And uh, do you have any siblings or anything that struggle with a weight? Or? Eventually, she did too, but not at the time. Okay. I, I I I mean, and for her, it took a while. You know, ten years of me constantly being on a diet, um, and then suddenly she started gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly with my mom. Everybody was kind of fine. But these impositions were at first placed on the household. Like, we're going to go see a nutritionist. The nutritionist is going to tell us what to eat. Then we're just going to all eat this way. So it's not just pointed at you. What did you think about it at the
3: time? Were you kind of like, I guess this is what's happening? Or were you like, do you have any kind of like um, a perception of value around it? Where you were like, this is not good. I've been bad. I've
2: been good. Why is this happening? I just want to eat food. What were your thoughts on the matter? I really just felt like there was something wrong with me. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And that I I didn't feel like it was a punishment, but I felt like it was a constant um, effort to fix or solve me. And so... You know, the whole household was on the candida diet, and then the whole household were you eating only candida fungus. B- basically, could you imagine that? <laughs> That'd be you know, I, I went to—I um, forget if it was Japan or China, but in one of those countries where uh, gluten was just an item on a menu, yeah. And I was just like, they're trying to fucking kill me. <laughs> These people—they know. Nowadays, you'd probably try it and be like, "Ooh, I would eat that gluten and cover yeah. it with MSG." What's they called? satan? Se- satan? Yeah. Hail
3: Satan! Yeah. Um, okay. What about physical activity? What are your early mem- early memories there? And do you remember liking physical activity? Is there a time you didn't like it? Did it feel like something someone was forcing you to do? Did you like to play physically
2: outside, friends? Blah blah blah. What do you think? The minute there was attention put on my body, I was kind of not interested in physical activity, and I, and 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 I've gone through. Um, old pictures and there's just uh it's it's bizarre to to see and it's a very young age we're talking about like five years old how active i appeared to be and then even if just looking at pictures of me at the beach the the shirt comes in where i'm wearing a shirt at the beach and whose idea was that I cannot imagine my parents saying, don't take your shirt off. So whatever instinct in me that was telling me, don't take your shirt off occurred around five years old when there was first um, attention put on my body. And, and it suddenly became this thing of like, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really shut down to all physical activity after that, I just was no longer interested in doing active things. Trippy. Yeah. If you can remember,
3: and I sure as fuck can't remember the shit about my childhood. I swear to God, I was like a slow kid or something. I barely remember anything. But was there a sensation in which your, uh, your sort of dereliction to be of normal size was foisted upon you unbeknownst to you? Or was it that once it was foisted upon you, you were kind of like, yeah, I kind of was thinking that too? Or upon examining it, you were like, I do agree. Because, like, so for me, I had a attention deficit disorder, I was basically academically useless until I was age 15. And I knew there was something wrong with me. It's not like my parents were like, do better at school. And I was like, fuck school. I was like, I try, but I can't. I, I know I'm broken. Where were you on that? Were you like, when it was sort of, you were made aware of the fact that your body was kind of the wrong shape for your parents' or grandparents' wishes. Were you like, yeah, I know, I feel that. Or were you like, what the fuck? Like, what? do you remember any of that? Or what?
2: I remember very much having no sense of my body at all. Because you were fucking five, and who kind of five year old has a sense of their body? Yeah, like I had never considered. Oh, the, this thing. I it just was like uh, the the. I very clearly remember um, becoming aware of my body in in association with the wrongness of it, and, and that's how you were introduced to body awareness. Yes was there's something wrong with your this thing that you're carrying around called your body which prior to that um I truly was not aware of so i, I kind of always just felt like there was this problem i was never once um i was n- never once really interested in solving this problem until I was an adult. So you never, as a child, you never bought in. You were like, no,
3: people are right, I'm too fat, this has to stop. Like, you were like, fuck, why is everyone on
2: my ass kind of thing. Yeah, fuck, why is everyone on my ass, and... probably didn't say fuck because you didn't know that word. No, no, but I also... There was almost like a resignation of, like, um, this is this is this is what it is hmm. and uh i don't i don't think any of this was like analytical thought uh but my instinct was to rebel and sneak food mm-hmm. but it how ha- did it feel to do that it was kind of exciting hmm. you know like i i i remember i got one spanking as a kid because my dad caught me in the kitchen eating a hot dog after dinner it's like a pot of hot dogs uh boiling um and we had eaten dinner and then i was in the kitchen you know the the fuck was making boiled hot dogs after dinner that's really a logistics problem this was like they what yeah whatever i in clearing my plate noticed that there were a couple hot dogs left in the pot Ah. and i was eating one i got in trouble and i got a spanking and then i took the whole pot and threw it on the ground like um I, I i have a very clear memory of that um that was probably like upon my return from vermont sure so if you can remember that meal or similar meals you
3: were allowed a certain time to eat which was to say dinner time or lunch time you were also restricted i assume in the amount of food you could eat during that time so what is whatever mom and dad put on your plate and that's it there was no seconds or extra or anything yeah
2: that was that was that was pretty much it until we started down the road of this isn't working mm-hmm. let's look for other solutions and the other solutions tended towards the food types or my blood type or cracking the code. Yes. What's wrong here? Because restricting the food isn't working. (laughs) You should have been like, well, actually
3: you're not successfully Restricting shit. Right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I think that all of that I, and I've had this thought a lot, like how, why didn't I just get on board? Why wasn't it explained to me in a way that I could just get on board with it as a kid? And I have no memory of the attempt to explain it. I don't remember, like, somebody sitting down and going, like, you're tending towards overweightness. You're already overweight, and you continue to gain weight. Um, I, I, I was not on board. I remember the one time I was on board. I was 10, mm-hmm. and uh, I was put on something called Optifast. I know about that. And... uh it's got fast
3: right in the name. Yeah,
2: and I and and I actually saw changes, and I wasn't cheating on it, mm. and it was kind of mindless and simple. Did you like the changes? I just remember having success, so I think I liked more like because that there was a very structured weigh-in thing, like mm-hmm. you go the social reward, yeah, and mm-hmm. and people were so happy, you know. I don't remember ever having to weigh in in front of my parents at home. They never made me do that. That's good. Yeah, um, but I, but I, but I don't know how they were tracking my weight or if it was just like through what they saw. Um, but this Optifast at ten, I'm getting on a scale, I'm sticking to it, and it's successful. I'm losing weight, and I'm there with. A bunch of random adults, there were no other kids on it, who were all watching me weigh in and all like cheering. Nothing me. wrong with that situation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I did that for a few weeks and was like f- really feeling proud because I was making headway. And then, because the adults were happy, were the clapping. adults were happy. And then something occurred. I, I even remember doing like group therapy type, type, like talking about food with adults and kind of not. How old were you? 10. Fuck. Not really understanding like, what do I say? Hey, I'm doing this and right. I'm happy. You guys cheered for me. This right. is great. And then my there was something about it that my mom was like, this isn't right for kids. She's probably right. <laughs> You're not doing this anymore. That was the one successful moment with dieting in my childhood that was then stripped away from me and I was like, wait, I'm allowed to drink. These motherfuckers are giving me diet soda and i'm not miserable i'm mm-hmm. like i wasn't i wasn't mm-hmm. uh, you know shockingly enough i wasn't miserable doing this thing and i'm getting cheered on yeah. at the and you fucking were meeting location. your
3: basic needs and stuff so.
2: whatever was happening it all seemed to be successful and then i remember this day of like no i actually am happy to do this don't take it away and but it was taken away so you didn't want it taken away No, I think a lot of my life was like people taking shit from me. And uh, maybe that's informs me a little bit politically today or my life where I'm just like, don't force people to do shit. external control. Yeah. Yeah.
3: All right. Uh, Juicy subject incoming. Okay. Body image into your teenage years. Maybe you could tell the listeners a bit of how, like, what you were up to as a teen, because you had a bit of an unorthodox teenagehood. Yeah. You know, with Epstein's Island and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Subject zero, Ethan Suplee. Right. Um, But on a serious note, you know, you... um, Because you have an interesting um, intersection there with... Eventually, I'll ask a question about how the Hollywood shit played in. Sure. But uh, just to maybe your sort of age 10 to age... 13 14 15 that's usually when I, th- I believe we see in the literature like um an adult like uh, body image starts to come into people's awareness because you're like 10 year olds like you're like what's your body look like i don't know they like, draw like a stick figure <laughs> you're like, right. that's what i thought my body looked like when i was 10 so at some point there's like uh, kind of an en- enhanced awareness um uh, a tr- sexual attraction comes into the picture sexual awareness comes into the
2: picture what uh what was that like for you um. So I, I remember the first girl who I ever thought was cute, and and you know, it was, there was a there was just a deep sense of not belonging. So there wasn't even like she doesn't belong around me, the great Ethan Sibley, future Hollywood superstar. Yes, of course, right. I I didn't. Think feel that I fit into, you know, I actually think that it's a good thing that there wasn't like an incel movement when I was 12 years <laughs> old. It's a good thing for everyone. Because I feel like, I feel like, not that I think they're right, but I can totally empathize with this idea of like feeling utter powerlessness and also no, no, no area to be, to exist with other people specifically with girls sure. i ma- imagine lots of 12 year olds feel like this maybe not maybe no other 12 year olds feel this uh, i sure
3: as hell did i don't know yeah
2: this this Scott the sound like... guy probably did pretty well at this age 12 isn't... yes he looks he like looks he like the know. kind of creep that did you know yeah yeah he was getting all the chicks at 12 <laughs> um that was his uh peak of his life actually yeah it was there was a very uh there was a lot of just feeling like hopelessness around attraction to the other sex sure. like you weren't in the candidacy pool of anything that would be considered i felt like i was so far outside of the candidacy, candidacy pool um yeah but i didn't even feel like i was within the candidacy pool of like having a bunch of friends at that age. no shit yeah i like make a friend and like Really cultivate that friendship because the idea of having lots of people really opened up the uh, idea that somebody's going to point out why are we friends with this fat guy? Also, you were aware of it on that level, yeah, huh?
3: Yeah, did you have any? Um, do you have anything you remember from your childhood, like uh, like burn scenarios where somebody in your age category brought the fatness to? yours or everyone else's attention i have like the this is ridiculous but i have this thing on my ear which is like the tiniest little node nodule thing like my grandpa had it too and it was described to me as a child my grandpa was like this great man he was like a, a, a pro boxer or something in russia and it was described like oh my god you have this thing too like you're gonna be great too and i'm like what up i was like nine i was like sweet and then like When I was 10, uh, in elementary school, kids start first noticing shit like that. And, like, a bunch of kids just made fun of me. Like, what the fuck's wrong with your ear? And I, like, you know, when you're 10, I was like, oh, I'm broken. Yeah. And it really, really hurt me.
2: Did did you have, like, a a memorable set of scenarios like that for your body? There was was one. I have one memory of this. And it was, it's always, like, I've always thought it was the strangest reaction. I was actually having a fist fight with my man. And um, I assume you won that fight. Well, I was winning, and the kid I was winning against was older than me, but I was winning. And he called me a fat ass in the midst of this fight. Interesting logic. And it was like kryptonite. Damn, it ruined me. I, I like had to walk away and cry. So he kind of
3: won that. He lost the fight, but won the confrontation on words. He was like a proto rapper.
2: Yeah basically
3: damn do you want us myself charlie and jared to find him now and hurt him badly desperately great that would be amazing i'm i think we're overqualified to do that yeah it turns out he's like in the ufc and we're like oh shit
2: (laughs) that was the guy he
3: he really thought he lost that fight so he just went and started training right after yeah uh okay so you so when he said that to you how old were you at the time
2: ish 12 12 and it it fucking stung Uh uh-huh bad yeah, you know, it's not that I hadn't ever been called fat before. I I, I remember th- uh, being around little kids. Um, I, I, I would uh, walk around the entire school to avoid having to go anywhere near the little kids. Because the little kids would say Fucking
3: it. animals.
2: Yeah, they would just say it. So if I was with another person and we had to walk by the little kids, it happened a couple of times. And I would just pretend not to hear it. Shit. Yeah. But it hurt. Oh, yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Body image,
3: self-image, and acting. How did you... You know, I don't know if you've spoken at length about this anywhere else. I sure as hell have never heard it. Mostly because I find you boring. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) And fat. (laughs) I'm the guy you fought, Ethan. I'm that guy. (laughs) Um... What was that like? So, so here's my supposition. Please feel free to correct the entire sure. story. If I had, uh, I did have very low self esteem when I was your age. Uh, if someone, I remember one time, uh, back when I was a, a younger kid, I was like 15, and I was like very good looking for a 15 year old. I had a gentleman uh, give me a card for a modeling agency. And my mom had been approached before, like, for me to pose for, like, be, like, the kid doing math in the math book. And he, he gave me a card. He's like, you got a really good look. Like, hit us up. And my self-esteem was so low that at, when, as soon as he walked out, I just threw the card in the trash. Because I was like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not qualified to be doing modeling. That guy's like, I was, a, clearly he was pulling my chain. Also, like, it was like, um, I sort of knew him through, like, swimming and stuff. And I thought he was, like, certainly gay. And I thought he was hitting on me. And you when you're 15 and it's the 90s you're like oh you know gay men are gonna kidnap me or some right. stupid shit so I just did, I didn't have the requisite self esteem to even remotely try something like modeling or anything like that and you got into acting how did that work? Okay
2: um I the I had very little um praise as a kid um and i was in a school play first of all there was a, an actor at my school like a professional actor but a kid actor so like somebody who just went on a nasty downhill spiral i'm just kidding no he's actually doing great today but 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 like my first um encounter with this was knowing this kid mm-hmm. uh being aware of him and then he was in your grade he was like maybe a grade higher than me. And no interactions with him personally. Or no, something? I had some interactions. He was cool with you or no? Totally cool
3: with me. Super super cool. nice. That's guys. nice.
2: Yeah, and I and I, but I saw very very fast that he was not recognized at all for himself. That he was recognized as the separate thing, being an actor. Huh. So. The there was a detachment from the attention he got was ninety nine point nine percent based on this other thing that had nothing to do with him uh-huh. really sure um, and and I think that was the first thing that I thought what a great distraction because nobody is talking to this guy or aware of him. For anything to do with him, it's this completely separate thing that is so materialistically surface that it's drawing all the attention away. And you wanted that? I thought it was such a like a magical um, disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I first became aware of that with him and then i did uh, a school play and had lame um, yeah i mean but i had a lot of you volunteered to is it was it mandatory everyone had to do mandatory. it was oh. mandatory everyone in the grade had to do something. Ah, the 90s yeah i did this thing i got to wear a cape nobody could see my body um <laughs> and it was like hey did you volunteer for that role no but when the role was brought to my attention the 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 only version I had ever seen was a movie. It was Oliver Twist, and mm-hmm. it was Mr. Bumble, and he had this long coat on, which, like, the old-timey coat that almost looked like a cape. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just gonna wear a cape. Uh, and, and I can do this, because you won't be able to see me. Um, and then I got praised for that. Like, I, I got attention, which was nice. For um, doing a good job in the play. Yeah. So that was, like, my second little experience with going like, Hey, I did this and got praised for it. That feels good. Uh, And it has nothing to do with me. It's got nothing at all to do with me. So why was that pertinent
3: to you? Why you keep bringing that up as that's a good thing. Why was that a good thing for you? Because
2: the, um, whether it was my perception or reality, Largely, the attention I got was negative. Sure. And I felt very bad. I felt like I was, there was something not right about me. So I did not want attention about me.
3: You're like, so this whole Ethan Supli character I've been playing kind of sucks. It's awful. Let me see if I can play somebody else.
2: Yeah. Huh. And create this thing where. It has nothing to do with me. And so if you're experiencing that, fine, because it's not me. Sure. How old were you during this play? During the
3: premiere of this play? 14. 14. And then how did that lead
2: into acting? So 14, uh, I also um, became just like so unwilling to, uh, I don't know. I I stopped going to school. I would refuse to go to school. I would at home. Yeah. I would play hooky. I would, what's hooky. Just not showing up for school. I would be, my mom would say, I'm driving you to school and I would get in her car and I would have these plans and, and, um, you know, at a certain freeway off ramp, I would just get out of her car. What? Yeah. Yeah. I got arrested um, buying buying drugs in in MacArthur Park when I was very young. Is that a seedy park? Yes. It's a a no-shit bad news park in Mm -hmm. downtown Los Angeles. At age? I think I was 12.
3: 12? Yeah. Oh, I had a whole sequence to these questions that you fucked up with your drug history. (laughs) Um, Let's keep going on the acting thread. You... Okay, so you, you didn't like school. Why didn't you like school? Was it the people there or the fact that the teacher was telling you to write boring numbers in your notebook?
2: I don't think it had anything to do with that because I actually didn't have a real issue with scholastics. I I enjoyed writing numbers in a notebook and reading. I just figured you're
3: not that smart. I figured
2: you'd hate school. I, I, I did hate school, but I, I think I hated... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I hated being around people, and I was just miserable at school. Because of the people, the social situation. Yeah, I think that's a lot to do with it. I I, I wanted to seem tough to be left alone. I wasn't actually tough at sure. all. Um. Uh, it just felt exhausting to me to to have to go and um. And play this make believe thing that I was still being judged as me. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: So you weren't a big fan of what was going on yeah. on the inside, and then you would show up to school and you would have to play this character actor of yourself, which you fucking hated. So it's kind of like, why the fuck am I here? If I just ditch this whole thing, then I won't have to have these emotions around it. Yeah. Is that an accurate that sort seems, of summary?
2: Yeah, that okay. seems accurate. And and uh, and I also um, had gotten so accustomed to lying to my parents at that point about what mostly food, um, but then also drugs, um, that. Uh, that I, I just, I you know, I think at a certain point I, I was no longer really participating as like whatever the base minimum is to have a relationship with somebody. I was a not. Buy-in. Yeah. There was no buy-in for me at all. I, you were th- checked out. I was a piece of shit. I right. was going to do bad stuff because, you know, that's what I had become accustomed to doing. Okay.
3: And so, okay, so you you weren't going to school much. Where did the acting start to thread in there? Because you started acting in your teenage years, right? Yeah, uh, I have a hard drive of your old teenage acting that I every now and again peruse. <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a couple terabytes. It's right. nothing major.
2: Yeah, it's a couple terabytes. It's quite a bit of. It's just really high quality digital right? information. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think I ran into that guy who I knew as an actor from school Uh once I was out of school. And he said... Out of school in the sense that you graduated? No, that I just wasn't... Oh, I I see. No longer (laughs) attending. No longer attending. attending. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And I I would be willing to bet that his... He was just like, we need to find something for this guy to do because he's on a bad path right now. And he, he was a little older than me and he said, you know, I think about that play... That you did, that I saw, you were great. You should write. Really consider acting. He's a fucking super nice guy. Super you nice. You owe guy. this motherfucker yeah. big. Yeah, and uh, and I was like, really, what's that? And he was like, well, I have an acting class. I go to an acting class, and and it, it's really helpful to figure out how to do it. And um, and so I, you know, I. I had to get permission because they were not accustomed to taking people my age. It was like an adult acting class. Wow! But they allowed him to go, even though he was a couple years older than me. Sure. Um, You know, and I guess at the time, like, 18 is a big deal when you're talking about, like, a 15, 16-year-old kid. That's a huge age gap. Yeah. So... Developmentally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I had to get permission uh and I got permission and I went and I was doing this acting class with uh with a bunch of adults and really permission from your parents N- permission from my parents and permission from the school and it, so
3: okay you, we got to pause here yeah your parents to some extent knew you were derelicting your school responsibilities and your school clearly knew something about it yeah but they were okay with you taking the acting class was there a pushback of like you better go to school and you talk about acting the
2: going back to school was a non negotiable thing i was not going to go back to school so wow. the the, uh, the the way that was solved was i went and got my ged interesting yeah at age 15 that's actually kind of impressive it was the easiest fucking <laughs> test that's because you're smart. <laughs> it was so. I mean, I thought it was a joke. I was like, "This is a fucking this." Tells I probably would have failed could... it at age fifteen. But... It was. It was pretty easy. Uh, I didn't study for it. You just showed up, and you're like, "I know enough things." I said. I said. They said I had to do this uh-huh. or go back to school. Let me do this, and I passed. Damn. I, I don't know that I passed. with I don't know actually that I passed with screaming colors with flying colors or whatever, but I got a certificate. Well, yeah, that's the idea of the G. Yeah. The
3: the idea of that sort of certification is that you just pass, pass, fail. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, can you imagine someone's interviewing for work? You're like, well, I have a GED. He's like, well, how well did you do on the test? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. So you took a GED, and your parents and your school were like, okay, fuck off, go act. Yeah. Your parents were like, here, we'll we'll sign you up for this acting class. Yeah. And they how went, frequent were the classes? A couple times a
2: week, two times a week.
3: And how long were they each time? A few hours. Okay, so it was a serious, serious thing. It yeah. wasn't just like lollygagging. No, no, it was real. And this was like true, like sort of thespian art where they were teaching you to act. Like it wasn't like a community involvement class. It was like
2: acting. It was acting and it was... Um... It was a beginner class, so there weren't like a bunch of professional actors sure. in my class, but the kid I knew who was in the advanced class was in a class with real actors, like movie actors. Sure. Like you'd go they would do occasionally like uh, a scene that was particularly good from some class. They would then go like this should be displayed for all the classes and they would work on it and on. show a twenty minute scene as though it was a play. And you'd go in and you'd watch like legit movie actors doing a scene from some random play. Did you have um? Yeah.
3: Do you have any memories of like famous people shock where you were like, what? That's what's his name or what's her name? Or I, you were just like,
2: man. Yes. No, at that point in my life, anyone who had ever been on TV once, even if I had no idea what their name was, but sure. I was like, oh, that guy was on an episode of Law and Order. Right. Was mind blowing to me at that point. To, you know my wife and Law lawn Order, is our favorite show and if we saw
3: that person we would be over the moon yeah like, oh my god you were great episode 97 <laughs> yeah close. that's how i felt too sure okay um and then once you got into the acting classes i assume you had talent for it or was it a struggle i struggled
2: there too um because you were just a piece of shit i no <laughs> no i i had i had uh i had the same note from the teacher over and over again, which was I would put up a scene with other people and the teacher would kind of get to me. And I don't know if he, he was like, this kid's 15. What am I going to say to this kid? Here's We've got some obese 15-year-old kid. This is ridiculous. He probably didn't use that word. That's really offensive. He definitely didn't use that <laughs> word. But my note, I think a few times was... I don't know what to say about this. Do it again. And I would just be like, fucking gave my scene partner a bunch of stuff. And I would wind up arguing with the guy. Huh. Um, So he didn't give you concrete feedback. I wasn't getting concrete feedback. No, I was getting a lot of like, I need to see this again. And so I'd do it again. And then I'd get like, that was really good. And I'd get some notes, but just you personally, or was it, was he critiquing the whole scene and all the actors involved? No, The adult actors who I was doing scenes with were getting legit notes, I felt. So maybe you were just really good and he
3: didn't want to tell you that shit. Because, you know, when you can't critique someone, a lot of times it's because they're nailing it. You just
2: don't want to puff up their ego. Maybe. I don't know. I I was frustrated in acting. Interesting. Yeah. How did that lead to acting, acting? A a year into this class, I got that note again and I was just kind of like, I'm just going to go try to learn acting by acting and um this was your idea to do i was kind of like in a fuck you state sure um and my first day of auditions i basically got both jobs i auditioned for i told you you had fucking talent i don't know that that's true i think i was a very unique looking person Ethan, we live in America. There's 500 trillion people that look like you. There were not a lot of obese teenagers Hmm. um, trying to get sitcom acting work in the early 90s. Interesting. Yeah. And then once you got those roles, it was kind of
3: snowball situation where you had a resume at that point, references, and people kind of knew, oh, that guy, get him in here for this casting call situation. Or did you have to push yourself for a
2: while longer? No, it was fairly quick. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, fairly quick to the point where um, the first audition I went on, I got a job. uh, And than just worked for 30 years. Damn. 20, and here we 27 are. 27 years.
3: Sure. Okay. So let me make sure I have these questions aligned properly because there's some stuff I want to go back to if that's okay. Sure. Um, your body image during your teenage acting... Tell tell me about that. Like when you let's just forget about acting school for a sec, and get into when you started getting some roles. Yeah. Uh, you you you, did you like that success? Do you think it reflected well on you? Did that change your body image at all? Or being like, I'm fat fucker who gives a shit because I'm getting these roles? Or were you like, I'm getting these roles. This is great, but I still fucking hate how I
2: look. What where where, where were you with all that? I did not. I did not think like that. I, um, I think I had a sense of uh, who. I had a sense of who I was, and there was no sense that this was a changeable condition. Um, I, the first season, the first show, TV show I did was a show called Boy Meets World, and I've never seen it. I, I don't blame you. I'm just kidding. It's, it's, of course, I've seen it. It's a uh, between the first season and the second season, my agents, or it might have even been um, towards the end of the first season, at oh. some point while doing that early on, my agents got a call from the producers and my agents called me and said, you don't need to gain weight for this. And it's an odd thing to say. Yeah, well... Apparently, I was gaining weight. I was not aware of this at sure. all. You're like, and, I think I'm just growing up. <laughs> and when when they said that to me, I was like, okay. Like, I'm, was that a nice way of them saying, "Don't get any fatter"? But they didn't say, "Don't get any fatter." They just said, "You don't need to gain weight for this." And so, for me, this was just a kind of um, reassuring me that there is something wrong with my body because i'm certainly not trying to gain weight sure i'm just living i'm not thinking about that at all i have a sense that there's something wrong with me i have a sense that i again am, well this is just a permanent state okay. that i exist okay. in and so it's then re-solidified mm-hmm. like yes of course i know yeah there's something wrong old with news me. yes this is not informing me of anything but it didn't you know i wonder if they had said he needs to lose weight if that would have had a positive effect maybe or a negative effect i don't know quit hollywood or some e- shit
3: maybe and so you took this as a relatively neutral statement of kind of a old news old
2: news like yeah
3: okay this and is then you not just kept that
2: yeah okay i didn't change anything
3: okay and then uh, up until age 1920 you dealt with your body as just this kind of like sort of walking old news liability Like, maybe how someone who, like, has no use of their legs treats their condition of, like, hey, you know you're in a wheelchair. Like, yeah, I fucking know I'm in a wheelchair. Like,
2: I don't think about it often and
3: whatever. And I fucking don't like it, but it is what it is.
2: Yes, and I also found, um, magically, that um, all the wonderful aspects to acting that were a shield against me were a distraction against me were equally valid with other famous people. So if I had other famous people around me it was just this fucking force field of like acceptability. Um, by them or by other people watching you guys? By other... It was my perception was... That I belonged if I was an actor and I was surrounded by other actors mm-hmm. because they have value. There's something valuable about them. Belonged in the grand sense of yeah. feeling like you belong. Yeah, like going out to a bar uh-huh. or going out to a nightclub. Well, you were age 15 through 20
3: here, Ethan, so you...
2: I know, We did that. Unbelievable. There was, there was not... Um, this was not something I would have ever felt confident enough to do on my own, but having this fucking badge of I'm an actor was super helpful. And then having a bunch of badges, like, guess what? All my friends are actors too. It was like this real sense of worth came with it. And it took the burden off of how, much self-loathing I was experiencing. And you were experiencing self-loathing? Almost as a constant. There was an overwhelming sense that I was wrong. There was a, a wrongness. Yeah, you like know? a wrong answer
3: to life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you have any specific memories about the, maybe the first or distinct time you experienced this uh, feeling of belonging through acting or through through other actors? Like any anything you want to sort of talk about in particular like this one time I was you know Gwyneth Paltrow punched me in the face but she did it as a joke and I your buddies that happened to me actually <laughs> lawsuit still in motion
2: <laughs> that never happened to she me, hurt at me Bye, a really deep level. I um I the the first kind of experience I had with this I had been doing um uh, Boy Meets World that was my only job at this point and I've, I've done a few episodes of it and uh and uh I I wanted to take my dad somewhere nice and uh with your money yeah I pay, I paid for a vacation at age 17 crazy yeah did you still live with your parents
3: or yeah. no crazy crazy we uh I had negative money when I was
2: that age <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was paying for trips to islands amazing and we um go down to this island and mostly we we had a little rented Jeep and we would drive around and look for beaches where there were no people because I was not super comfortable on a beach and then one day my dad just wanted to stay at the pool like stay at the hotel that we were at and I was like okay but but I had a deep feeling of shame um, that I felt uh, would bleed over into him as being associated with me. Because you're fat. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, the, there was a point at the pool where some kids saw me. And I thought like this is gonna be a shame. here we go moment for yeah. my dad, but they recognized me from acting, and it was like the opposite. it was this joyous thing for me, and I felt like I'm not shaming him i'm um I'm actually making him proud, so that was kind of the what became more and more prevalent in my life was the sense of like, if it's if the tension is taken off of my body and it's just put somewhere else, whether that's a movie I did or I'm friends with this guy or whatever, fucking let's have that, let's do that because sure. this is so much better. Sure. So you kind of didn't
3: have to deal with the body stuff anymore. You could just, you had something else to focus on. And it's not like you went at the body shit. You kind of put that aside and were like, fuck that. Let's get on this shit. Yeah.
2: Damn. Yeah. It was just a much, um, yeah, it was, I I don't, I don't even know that I thought it through so well, but I do remember having a moment of fear that I was going to, have a shameful experience in front of my father sure. and then it becoming a moment of pride. Yeah. Uh, happy memory for
3: you or a mixed, mixed memory. So uh, one of the happiest, one of the happiest. Yeah. Okay. Perfect segue. Um, if we take your teenage years, let's say, uh, since you started acting, all the way through, when you get into the eighteen, nineteen, twenty area, was that a happy time for you, or kind of roller coaster time? So, if you ask me about my teenage years, were they a happy time? I'd be like, eh, "Happy's not the word I'd use. It was happy times, but there's a lot of shit going on." What do you think, or was it mostly like a shitty time with acting as kind of this ray of sunshine in
2: it, or what do you make of like your teenage years? I think it was a lot of trying to just. Um, Separate myself from reality in the present. And uh, that was done. I really enjoy acting. Like, I, I enjoy the moment of the acting. Work. Yeah. That is super enjoyable. Um, but I do think a lot of it, um, part of that joy is that it, it it is taking me out of right now. I don't have to experience right now because I'm experiencing something else. I'm creating this other thing. This is what I'm experiencing. And it, and pretty much any of it is better than right now. Uh, what was wrong with right now? Right now, for a long time, just sucked. Because, you know, mentally and physically... um just was not pleasant mm-hmm. so anything that could uh, blunt or change right now was 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 welcome yeah yeah well, that makes a lot of sense
3: um, let's backtrack mm-hmm. and talk about my favorite subject drugs yes um How, when, why did that...
2: Uh, I started to drink when I was young. Um, How young? I mean, I think the first time I ever, like, stole, you know, club... Brass Monkey or something from, oh, ugh, I'm gonna from a liquor, liquor store. I mean, I didn't know. You sure. couldn't get to the hard alcohol. The Beastie Boys said that. <laughs> yeah, the Brass Monkey. There was a song about it. must be great. Yeah. Um, I was probably 11 or 12. 11 or 12. Uh, there was n- never really alcohol in my house. Um, I remember one New Year's, there was a bottle of champagne. That's my only memory of alcohol. My dad didn't drink it. My mom Had it. Um, But other than that, there was never alcohol in my house. You were not Russian. No. Um, Why did you go and take it? By yourself or with friends? The first time was by myself. And then I found other kids that would do that. And we, you know, we had, we'd find there was one liquor store um, that we knew of in Hollywood that would sell us booze Jesus. that didn't cart us and yeah. then if we couldn't get all the way to that liquor store we could fucking sit out in front of any Seven Eleven and hire somebody to buy us a carton of beer or something like that mm-hmm. this was all discovered very very young sure i mean what i consider young if i found out that my 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 youngest kid is 14 if i found out that she was doing this shit today i would be shocked sure. i really don't believe she's doing this sure um famous last words right i'm knocking on wood. <laughs> um
3: why? So why did you go that first time? Why did you go? I have no idea. I really have no idea. What about second, third, fourth? Like why? I why enjoyed was it? it. You actually enjoyed the process of being inebriated. Or the excitement of
2: taking it or both? All of it. The All whole thing was fun. It was an adventure. And then it was Do also. Do kids get hangovers or what? I guess not maybe or just a little. I don't think I experienced a hangover for a long time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> And how regular of a practice was the stealing of alcohol? Like, that wasn't, that wasn't soup. it wasn't like a daily thing. Um, but when I got a car and I got a little money. 16 years old. Yeah. And I had money and I could get myself to the liquor store that I knew was not going to card me. It did become fairly daily regular. Sure. And then your involvement... What what is it that you were getting at the park? We were buying crack to put onto a joint to smoke Cocoa Puffs, as they called it. That's a
3: hilarious name. Yeah. Was that that the shit Toucan Sam is high on? No, no, that's some other shit. Fruit Loops. Um, Okay. I'm just going to throw this out there. I want to see what you think about it. When I was... How old were you then? 12, 14? 12. 12. When I was 12 years old, uh, right about at that time, when I was exactly 12, this one bad girl who everyone kind of had a crush on, uh, we were like sitting out in the hall because like some kind of assignment involved some people going out in the hall and sitting there while everyone else prepped something. And she was like, she started talking to myself and, and one other person about like, like she's like, if you guys tried pot. And I instantly had this, revelation that i was speaking to a career criminal (laughs) who was morally bankrupt and i was like no and what and why are you crazy and like whatever mcgruff the crime dog shit they fed me i was like i had like a sense of moral righteousness that i was like only criminals do drugs yeah and if I start doing drugs, I'm going to be like, I had dreams as a kid of, like, in the dream, I get addicted to drugs. And I'm like, no! And I wake up oh, God, I'm not a drug addict. Thank God. Was there any of that association of drugs with don't for you? Or were you like, fuck it. How does, that, how does a 12-year-old get to crack?
2: Well, I had never smoked crack at that point, Sharon. Sure. Um, Weed,
3: anything. For me, marijuana was,
2: like, a treasonous crime, punishable by death, yeah. moral death yeah i i spent so long being what I considered a career criminal um specifically with food mm. that I, I I don't think the progression was so shocking okay. to me so there was um i think in my own like kind of uh retrospection or trying to be as um honest with myself as I can be, that my progression from lying about food just bled into lying about most stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when it was something that I would hope my kids find to be taboo, it wasn't such a jump for me at that point because I was really accustomed to just doing shit I wasn't supposed to be doing.
3: And maybe like So sort of the external rules Adults imposed on you Were all so stupid And caused you so much I don't want to do this Kind of feelings That it just Drugs were just another External rule That was like Oh they told me I can't eat fucking lasagna
2: They also said I can't smoke weed Fuck all the above We didn't even I mean listen Drugs in my household Were so taboo That they weren't even Mentioned by name Mm. There was never a I, I think my first Honestly If I've got to be Totally honest with you My first experience With drugs was probably at like 10 trying to dry out and smoke banana peels because i heard some punk rock song talk about smoking banana peels and i thought well if that's a thing let's try it um you know and what was your motivation
3: just like let's see if this works yeah damn okay
2: it didn't work I, don't I mean, that's it. just it's
3: not fun. T- medically unwise advice. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So you had experience with marijuana, nice and early, alcohol, nice and early, cocoa puffs thereafter. Well,
2: I got arrested, so that it took it took a minute. You got arrested. There was a sting operation? No. um, I mean, maybe they were watching the spot. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think the guy who we were buying it from, I actually, strangely enough, didn't get arrested for that. I got, I mean, I got arrested for that. I got uh, taken to jail because I had nunchucks in my backpack, as every self-respecting 12 year old does. Dude, you're a fucking superhero at that age. Yeah. Or villain. I don't know. Yeah.
3: And, that, and they were considered a weapon.
2: Uh, nunchucks in California are class A felony.
3: That is so, the funniest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah,
2: so I have, a, I have a felony weapons possession on my record.
3: Expunged for youth status or no? No, it's on there. Have you ever had to explain that at like a job opportunity? I've had
2: to explain that when um, getting like global entry. Oh my God. Um, when i wanted to get you know like tsa for the world tsa pre-check for the world uh and they brought it up they were like have you ever had an arrest and they looked at the girl looked at me like better fucking answer this honestly and i was like yeah i have i was i thought it was sealed in because i was a minor i thought Mm -hmm. it was a sealed record but Mm -hmm. yes i have and she was like yeah you have i can see it right here so it's on some file
3: sure they get the good, the good files yeah. there. TSA doesn't fuck around.
2: Yeah. And you had to tell her it was nunchucks. Uh, I did tell her it was nunchucks. Does she cause... understand what that was? Well, she was just like, 1987 felony weapons charge. That sounds That's all it says. really cool. That's all it says. And I had to say, listen, I was 12. I was in a park. I had nunchucks. I didn't know they were as illegal as they are. Sure. I wasn't... Uh, you know, sneaking on a plane with a gun. It's not even a functional weapon. For Bruce Lee, it is.
3: Yeah, because he's not hitting himself with a dick with that shit. Right. Um, when I think 1987 felony weapons charge, I think only one thing. Scarface. Right. Machine guns.
2: Yeah. See, I think in California, that's a misdemeanor. But nunchucks are a
3: felony. <laughs> it's M16 you have as a misunderstanding. Right. You're not Chuck Norris. With right. those ch- that's unbelievable. Yeah. All right. So, Okay. The drugs, through your acting, you, yeah. I assume, continued to use drugs. Not during the time that you were physically being filmed. I
2: don't know. But in the not your, there.
3: Okay. But first in your recreation time, you were using drugs. Yeah. uh uh-huh.
2: Yeah. I, I, I don't think uh, my first year of acting, I was ever intoxicated at work.
3: Sure. Um, but But you were still using them in the rest of your life. On occasion. On occasion. Drinking. Yeah. Various other things. Yeah. Okay. And you thought that was fine at the time or did you
2: have a sense of like, oh. No, no, no sense of. No sense of. No.
3: Okay. It's just something that made you feel pretty good. So you did it.
2: Yeah. Okay. There was a real. um, I. I found that I had a real personality when I was. On drugs or drunk, that I didn't have without that, um, and it's very strange because acting—you kind of invent whatever personality you're doing, and then it's all pretend. Yeah. And and um, and drugs and alcohol really allowed me to have that same feeling, but without the invention. Now it's just real. Now I'm just like comfortable being around other people and talking to them. And you weren't? No, not at all. So that kind of explains the drugs, huh? I think so.
3: And so the drugs probably tie into your body weight issues pretty directly then, huh?
2: I I, I believe so, yeah. There was always a... There was always a sense of just... I mean, it always felt like... um, I don't know if it was like depression or anxiety or what clinically it was social discomfort, whatever I had that made me feel like I was, uh, not worthy to Mm -hmm. be myself would go away when I did drugs. Yeah.
3: How did the, did the drug use evolve in sort of, in a pattern with the increasing body weight through your twenties or was it kind of like strings of each rather independently or like, was there times when you sort of eased up on the drugs and you gained more weight or were the two sort of unrelated? It was just both the weight was a thing. It sucked. And then you're using drugs cause they're fun. And also you want to get the fuck away from that suck.
2: The only time. No, they, they evolved together. Um, There got to be the point where I was a complete addict um, and uh, strangely enough, I would, I started to have congestive heart failure. And so this um, would show up as like swelling in my feet and then that swelling would gradually move up my legs. How old were you? 19 or 20 holy fuck yeah. body weight maybe 21 um i i was heavier than could be determined at a doctor's 400 office. 400 plus i don't know yeah i i stopped getting on scales at doctor's office when i maxed out the scale and then i just was never getting on a scale sure again. um and I would make up whatever numbers. I would look at their scale, and if it went to three fifty, I would say three seventy five. And if it went to four hundred, I would say four hundred five. I'm not. I don't need to get on the scale. That's what I would do. Um, I was heavier than that. Sure. Um. Uh, but uh. So congestive heart failure. I. So I would. Um. But what would happen is if I. If I spent a few days not doing drugs, I couldn't sleep or eat, but I could just sit in a chair, the swelling would go away. You couldn't eat? No. Not when I was coming off of drugs. Which drugs, if you don't mind me asking? Opiates. I mean, everything. Uh, opiates primarily, um, but like I'd always throw in uppers if I could get them, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I was, you were looking
3: for downers. Yeah. Uh, But,
2: but oddly, you know, I remember instances where I would do some opiates and, and, and have energy and feel like I could talk to people and, and, um, and then I would see people on cocaine having the same experience and I didn't really understand that that's like, okay, I'll try that too, but I actually feel this burst of energy and, and, um, Confidence from opiates. I, I don't know why. It's probably because it deburdened your anxiety, huh? Maybe. Did it feel like it did? Yeah, I felt really. Confident. Like you weren't as
3: trapped anymore.
2: Yeah, I felt like I was myself when I was doing drugs, um, and and I felt like I was uh, the the guy I thought I wanted to be, um, who didn't have all these feelings of like self-loathing and and um, didn't fit in anywhere. Were those feelings worse than usual when
3: you stopped doing drugs for some time? Did they come back avalanche style or just back to normal?
2: The, when you're with, when i the the actual act of withdrawing. So, so I would gain, I was gaining weight. I wasn't ever losing weight. You know, that was another thing why I thought I was broken because you hear about, you see junkies who are thin And I was a proper junkie, but never lost weight. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would still, you know, go out to nightclub, have fun, um, be this confident person, and then hit fast food on my way home and eat for six. By yourself. Yeah, at the end of the night. How did that feel, the fast food part? Do you have any guilt associated
3: with it? Or or was it kind of just, this is going to feel fucking great because it's fucking delicious?
2: There was a a sense of embarrassment. So, um, making eye contact with the gal or the dude handing me the food was a moment of that. I felt shame at the drive through. Um, you were sober by then or still high? No, still high. I was high pretty much 24 okay. seven, but Tw- even then you were feeling shame. Yeah. About that, that, that act. Kind of I, I mean, and then I would have these weird mental gymnastics I would put myself through where I would go like you know, for some reason the guy at the AMPM is less of a human being than the guy at the McDonalds, so I don't have to feel shame around him huh. for for whatever reason. Sure. Because like he's dealing with like real the real dregs who are coming in to buy forties at one forty five in the morning. So you're like a breath of fresh air to him, kinda. I mean, this was Completely illogical, as I say it now, because there's no drive through at a m p m like the actual interaction with a person at a drive through is so much less, yeah, but that moment was shameful to me, and I would freely walk into an a m p m and buy a bunch of hot dogs and hamburgers um because I had convinced myself that this guy was more accustomed to seeing. Shipbags all night. Who's yeah. going into AMPM at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning? Just the scum of the earth. So I felt like I fit in there more. Huh. Whereas I th- i don't know why I thought of like whoever is the people working at the drive thru's were accustomed to a higher class of people. Interesting. This was, yeah, as I say it, it feels illogical, but that's what I believed sure. at the time. Uh, I continued to gain weight, but I would notice um, a deflation every time I would get clean. Now, I was getting clean towards the end periodically. For... How old were you then? This was probably 2000, 22, 23. 22, 23. Um, you'd build up a tolerance. So I would have to do so much drugs to maintain my high and it would stop being an effective high and just kind of it was starting to not i wasn't getting that feeling of confidence i was just getting like i'm not miserable anymore but not much better yeah but i i wasn't leaving my house much oh at shit. this point i you was were still working i was still working but like towards this point i was Experiencing the beginning of congestive heart failure. The drugs were not as potent. Yeah. Um, and so I would take a couple days and fucking sit through hell, unable to sleep and eat. What's that like, Ethan? Um, you know, you have like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow because you know that when you... By the time you're able to eat something or to fall asleep the drugs are going to work again oh shit and the swelling has gone down so the only times that i would lose weight would be when i would take a break from drugs with the intention of making them potent again um my shoes would fit you know stuff like that yeah so the process of withdrawal was very uncomfortable That's awful.
3: But you held on because you knew, man, this shit is going to feel real good after this. Yeah. And that's why you were doing it. Pretty much. Trippy. Um, What what took you off that path? How bad did it get? Or is that about as bad as it got?
2: No, it got to the point where I was told by a doctor that... um, Shh. She, I did blood work because I, the congestive heart failure, I would do a couple days clean and, and the swelling wasn't going all the way away now. And did you go to the doctor yourself or did somebody say like, Hey, you better fuck? Well, I didn't know what this swelling was. This, I had no idea. So at first for a year, the swelling would just be in my feet. Right. Yeah. And, And I couldn't put shoes on and it was real weird. And then, um, you know, drugs would become impotent, I would stop, and I would notice the swelling went away. So, okay, it's from the drug use. Uh, That's a reasonable assumption. That, this was my yeah. my, my uh, diagnosis. So it got to the point where the swelling was getting up to my uh, waist, huh. and starting to, like, the part of my stomach that hung over um, was starting to get taut. Whoa. And And so I would try this thing of, like, Okay, I'm go I'm going up to a week clean, and the swelling was only going down like maybe below my knees, and the feeling of relief once it would go below my knees was massive because that swelling in the joints really hurt. Sure, even with drugs, um, but it wasn't all the way going away, so my calves were still gigantic and taut, and I had. Um, You know, and I would try to hide this by wearing sweats and socks all the time and stuff, but I could not put on shoes. Um, So how did you go to work? Maybe at this point I wasn't working. Okay. This was maybe the last stretch. This was when it was really bad. I went to a doctor and, uh, um, and she did blood work and said okay she was talking about like my liver and certain markers in my blood and said uh what you have is called congestive heart failure and that was the first time i ever heard about that and she said when that swelling gets to your heart you're going to die um basically it's just your body is uh retaining fluid and when the fluid surrounds your heart your heart can't beat anymore this was how she explained it to me i'm not I'm not a doctor, as you are, so I don't know. I'm a fake doctor, so I don't know what the fuck. Sounds reasonable. We'll ask your wife. Sure. Uh, And I said okay, Uh, and she said I, and we went down the list of all the other shit that was going on in my body, Um, and she basically said, like, I know you're doing drugs, and I think you're going to die whether you stop doing drugs or not. There was this moment where I imagined um, my parents finding me dead, uh, and it was just the swelling that was, you know, something I didn't want them to see. And, uh, And the doctor was like, I can't even really tell. Like, you're so big that this swelling is not like what are you talking about you, and i was like no but i can tell yeah um and i think they'll be able to tell it all seems completely illogical to me now but the idea was i just i'm going to die but i want this swelling to go away before i die because i don't want somebody to have to see that when whatever they do with a dead body sure um involves looking at you and the best I can do is get rid of the swelling look presentable I mean not that I would ever claim to look presentable at that point more but presentable. like this idea to me of being swollen was horrifying okay. um what did you think about your impending death I, I almost every day I went to bed I was I was unable at that point to lay on my back because I couldn't breathe um and I would wake up almost every day surprised to be alive. So that wasn't so upsetting. Mm -hmm. The idea, I figured I was dying. The idea that I would die swollen like this was very upsetting to me. And, um, that was really, I had been to rehab a couple of times. How'd that work out? Not well. Mm -hmm. It wasn't ever something. I woke up one day going, I want to go to rehab. Um. Other people checked you in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, were
3: you just biding your time
2: in there? No, I mean, I'm sure there were moments where I, uh, where I could think like, "It'd be good to get sober." You know, like I can see the benefit in that. This is not. This is becoming not fun. Um. But, uh, but it wasn't ever my idea. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily something I was fighting, but maybe like, you know, my friends are worried about me. I don't want them sure. to worry or my parents are worried about me. I don't want them to worry. So I'll go and do this thing um, and maybe it'll stick. I hope it sticks, but it didn't. doesn't sound like there was a lot of conviction behind that. No. Yeah.
3: And then, so, okay. So you, the doctor was like, look, you're going to fucking die a bloated mess. And you were
2: like, no. And you, I went to a rehab rehab. Okay i uh i went to a rehab uh i uh i was awake for eleven days straight is that possible it was the, the very pleasant i imagine it was a total nightmare i um you had to there were like two things first you get through withdrawing from drugs and then you go and do like the actual therapeutic part of the rehab sure and uh if you were Lucky enough to be in there, uh, coming off of alcohol or benzos, you would do a medical detox where they hook you up to IVs and pump you full of barbiturates and right, stuff. Right, because you can't come
3: off cold turkey that shit. You'll just straight up die or something.
2: If like if you if you are seriously addicted to benzos or alcohol, those are the two things that kill you from withdrawal. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: But if you're in there, like one of these fucking speed freaks are a crackhead. Uh, you're sleeping and eating. That's your withdrawal. Like I would sit there in total envy of these guys because they would, because they haven't been sleeping and eating. Right. And they would be woken up and, and they would for meals and they would go and they would get their meal and they would eat it. And then they would go back to bed and sleep. And they were in and out of there in three or four days. Um, I was in this thing for three weeks because of the opiates. Yeah, 11 days didn't sleep. A bite of food here or there, but really disinterested in eating. Couldn't shower. Um,
3: what did you make any sense out of the disinterested in eating thing with your history of
2: eating? It wasn't, I mean, how did it feel? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it didn't, food did not feel good. It didn't feel good in my mouth. It didn't taste good. Um, uh, once the backup of fecal matter that hadn't been being regularly expelled came out, like giving birth, I thought of it. Um, also unpleasant, I assume. Very unpleasant, but then everything was just liquid from then on for for weeks. Fecal um, matter-wise. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I don't mean to take away from women giving birth, but there was a large mass inside of me that hadn't moved for a long time. Sure. And and I ate. Kind of like a satanic birth. It was awful. Um, And then, then, you know, smoked a lot of cigarettes. They give you cigarettes there? I brought cigarettes. You were allowed to have cigarettes. Oh, you were? Yeah, you were not allowed to have caffeine. On this portion of it, because okay. I, I think if you're having trouble sleeping, they don't want anything to wind sure. you up at all. Sure. Um, that was the roughest part, and then, you know, the rest is just like, let's try to figure out what you're escaping to, uh, to lead you to this, and and deal with it in the actual therapy in yeah. rehab. Yeah. And was that a productive series of conversations? Yeah. Yeah, but I felt very fragile at the end, um not super confident in myself. Were they expecting you to feel more confident afterwards? I don't know. I don't know.
3: Can it's, you explain it's a the very, fragility?
2: Very, very different thing to go from uh you know, being in a situation where you don't necessarily have to withhold yourself from doing drugs because there's no drugs mm-hmm. to be done and there's no... You're just in a very safe environment to being back into um. the environment you were in where your life was a total mess yeah. and there's no structure other than the structure you build for yourself mm-hmm. uh, was uncomfortable and had some slip-ups. No shit. Yeah. How did you feel about the slip ups at the time? The slip ups were so devastating. Um, so then you were on the on the bandwagon of like this is a bad thing. Yeah, I was I was interested in that point at not having a return to that. How long were the slip ups for? Um, what are they called, benders?
3: That yeah,
2: that? It, would, it was never more than a day, but it happened a few times. Okay
3: any addressing of body weight issues during that time or not yet? I was made to get on a scale
2: while being, um, during intake. Uh, that was a, a non-negotiable thing. Uh, and I, that's where I, I, they, they didn't have a scale that could accommodate me. So I actually had to buy one and have it shipped there, a freight scale. Um, and I, that was the only time I got my weight, um, in, in, the whole period of decades um, which was 536 PR
3: yeah that's (laughs) right few slip ups later how did you weave yourself out of that lifestyle
2: Um, I started going out with this girl and who's now my wife and uh, and there was a a real um, sense of, I'll lose this. This is not something like my parents who are gonna be there no matter what. Yeah. She's not gonna be there if I if I fuck this up. Because you liked her a whole lot, I guess. Yeah. And so your coming out of
3: drugs had nothing to do with a transition to fitness whatsoever.
2: Nothing. There was
3: no attempt to diet at, at that point at all. And she was cool with... Was she cool with you being, you know, big as shit? Or... I mean, she clearly was not cool with you being a drug
2: addict. That was... That was... Yeah. There was... That was no...
3: Did you suspect as much or did she say as
2: much? She said it. No shit. Yeah. Prompted or unprompted? Uh, Unprompted. She had uh experienced that with family members. Ah. Yeah. And she was like, look... uh, i'm not this is like a one and done thing i'm not getting on that train no if you're struggling with this figure it out and then come see me so this is very early in the relationship yeah
3: and you knew this person was going to mean a lot to you kind of situation yeah and you were like i'm fucking done with this stuff yeah and then for how long after did you not really address your relationship to your body or fitness or weight
2: it was relatively quick um It was really quick. It was a few months into the relationship uh, where I was um, really looking beyond. First of all, it's the first time that uh, I ever had the attention I wanted um, from a girl that had nothing to do with being an actor or... um, any of the ancillary things I built up that were components of me that had nothing to do with me. It was the first time that, um, I had worth just because of me. And I think mostly because of my ability to talk Mm -hmm. to her, uh, because physically I was not in a good state. Um, you know, so Mm -hmm. that, I think that was very helpful.
3: Was she one of the first people
2: ever to, like, clearly show you she was into the you, you? I mean, I had friends who all cared for me very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, like, girls go, mm-hmm. it was the first time I felt that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so just shortly thereafter,
3: you're done with drugs. I assume you're back working. Yeah. The mean streets of Hollywood. A yeah. working girl. Yeah and uh you get into your first serious attempt to in your adulthood try to do something about
2: your physical state yeah i hadn't been thinking about it um much at all and uh and i had a really brutal conversation with another actor on a plane and uh it it, it Kind of caused me to start thinking about it. And then I was thinking about the girl and my life and the future and what I wanted. And and it was very clear that in order to have a long-term relationship with her, I was going to have to address it. Sure. Define brutal. Um. Uncomfortable. For you. Yeah. Not for them. I don't know, I, I, I imagine it's, it was uncomfortable for him, too.
3: Did it, so, um, was he push? Uh, he, he or she? He. Was he pushing at you, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you gotta really address this? Or was he, like, just asking questions? Uh, why, where, where from where in did the brutality come?
2: The brutality was him saying, like, I see you, and I think you're on the wrong path. And, um, this was different than my friend saying like, look, we're concerned, which is also brutal. Sure. This was way more blunt with like, I live my life this way because of these reasons. You're, what are you doing? Was kind of like that. Does this person have a weight history themselves or no? No. Uh, and in fairness, none of the reasons he gave for why he lives his life the way he does Made any difference at all to me? Sure. Um, but he had reasons. He had reasons, and uh, and and it caused me to think about them, and then it caused me to think about the way I was living my life. I, I just hadn't really been thinking about it um, to find your reasons. Yeah. Uh huh. How old were you? Ish. Twenty four. Twenty four. Maybe twenty three. Good time
3: to get your shit together. Yeah. And you let that conversation mill around your head for
2: a while, or were you like, did you get off the plane and you were like, I gotta do some shit now? I got off the plane. I had a brief layover in um, Frankfurt. I was like jet setting Hollywood motherfucker. Oh man, I was uh, totally destroyed by the conversation. Wow. Um, and then thinking about uh, Brandy, my wife, and. I really came to the conclusion that uh, if if I told her, then I was, like, letting her in on this secret that she couldn't know, which was completely insane. Um, but if I didn't tell her... So there was, like, risk in telling her. Because then it's out in the open, kind of, between you
3: two, and you're like... Yes, you put your pride on the line sort of like your commitment
2: yes so if i tell her and i don't win and i'm not successful i lose oh yeah but i thought i was more likely to eventually lose if i don't tell her Mm -hmm. Uh, so i thought that the only shot at winning was to tell her that i needed help and to say like this is an issue i'd like to address it can you help me and she was like yeah sure like no problem and I, w- I think at that point I was going back and forth to Romania a lot um, I, didn't, I don't want to know anything about that Yeah, was the CIA listens dark. to this stuff um, uh, I was only there for on at that point like I was going to be there for a couple of weeks and then I was coming back to LA for like a nice long period of time but then I would have to go back to Romania um, and she said do you want to Do you want to, like, start doing something now while you're there? And I was like, sure. What do I do? You tell me. I'll do that. And she said, all right, uh, don't eat any bread or potatoes. Okay. And I went, okay, I can eat anything else? She said, yeah, but just for this period. And so for a couple of weeks, I did that. I didn't notice any change, but I noticed that I was able to do that. Like, sure. That wasn't so hard. Right. Right. You weren't, like, chronically hungry or out of energy or anything. You were like, man, ah, it's just a thing I'm doing. Yeah. And then um, we talked, you know, every day. And at some point she's like, okay, I've been looking around and I found this thing. You're going to start the minute you get back. I've got it all ready. It involves a lot of, like, vitamins and pills and I'm going to bag them up for you so you don't have to think about them. And I'm just going to hand you everything every day and you're going to do it. It's going to be great. Back to drugs. Well, no, I think the pills were all like fiber. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, that was never. No, she was not. Yeah. Could you imagine? You're going to do a lot of diet pills. We're going to grind them up and you're going to <laughs> yeah. snort fat lines yeah, of Yeah, Jesse pills. from
3: Save by the Bell type shit. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, And so I got back to L.A. and I'd been doing this thing, you know, which, I, which was, like, so easy. Like, if that's all I got to do, fine. But then I knew that that wasn't really the thing. That was sure. just whatever I was doing in the moment. Um, and uh, she had this... She had found some guy who had a program where it was, like, a liquid diet where you're drinking a couple protein shakes a day and then some green drink and taking a shitload of fiber. Um, which, to get, like really really graphic and gross everybody out like yes a few weeks into them, everything is liquid everything coming out of me is like liquid. a bird and whole capsules of undigested fiber oh, shit. are coming your out your body's too. like
3: dude enough and fiber. You don't need I'm not even opening this yeah, anymore <laughs>
2: nothing whatever you're taking um, we sure as hell not gaining weight at that point no i lost 80 pounds in 2 months and dr mike's liquid pill fast yeah tm available yeah. for sale um and then you know they were rough two months and then i had to go back to romania to work on a movie which was like you know it's not construction but it's not it's not nothing um fiber pills don't get you through that shit they don't get you through that uh a lot of very light-headed all the time and sure a loss of vision upon standing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Low blood pressure. Yeah. Um, not a terribly and, bad but, thing medically, but not great yeah. for work. When I say I lost 80 pounds, too, let me explain this. I got a scale. The scale was like this um, almost uh, rectangle thing with a circle at the top, and it had like a spring-like needle that would go sure. around. It would go to 300 So the way I gauged my weight loss is when I started, it swung past 300 and up to, like, 150. And by the time it would get there, I thought it was just wound so tightly that it was, like, dancing. Uh It's not, like, hitting a number and staying there. And so I would get on it every day, and it gradually came down by 80 pounds Wow, to you know, seventy or or whatever sure, it was. Sure, sure. Um and that's how I gauged my weight loss. Took took uh I think it took about six or seven years before before it got below three hundred. And Holy and shit. I was like able to go like, hey I think this is my real weight. And by the way, it dipped to like two ninety eight one day and then was back above that. Yeah. So I, I I don't know, but that's how I would go. Like, sure. this is really working because it's not at two hundred. It's not at whatever. Sure. And uh, did you try? This is when you tried a whole bunch of different diets. I mean, yes. I, well, there was a there was an after portion to this liquid fast that was, um, I believe, based on blood type. So I think that was my first experience with the blood type diet which was like now you've done this liquid diet now we're going to move you on to here's a list of foods you're allowed to eat and i in fairness got real full off very small meals at that point and so continued to lose weight in romania not nearly as quickly as i did Mm -hmm. um but i didn't start putting weight back on either Mm -hmm. um and then when i got Back and I was done with that movie um, there was a point where I stopped losing weight on the blood type diet and so I started to go like I need another diet and then we're already familiar
3: with we did all the diets all the stuff Yeah. and maybe someday we'll
2: I'd love to talk to you about detail of all the diets sure I really want to do a full episode on the Beverly Hills diet because of all the diets I've done, I think it's the most ridiculous. I, I can't wait. We're for sure going to have to do that. Yeah. Um, last
3: question okay, for today. Um, today now, what is your body image like? <laughs> uh, there's a reason it was the last question yeah lots to say
2: i can it's so weird um i have to uh i have to talk myself through it sometimes Mm uh because um i can't necessarily objectively tell always you know you and I, we, we did a photo shoot. I did a photo shoot and you were there for it, which was a big deal. Um, it's the leanest I've ever been in my whole life, including after years of riding a bike 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just looked at pictures, uh, of that same day with a shirt on and thought, I thought, I thought thought I looked a little small Mm -hmm. and thought like I, Didn't look as good as I could look. And, and today I feel a little fat, um, a little fat. Yeah. I I mean, listen, I don't think I'm ever going to feel like a confident person with regard to how I look. I just don't, I don't think that's like, I don't think that's in the cards for me. I remember I was doing a TV show called chance and, um, this is after I'd been real, real thin but not real lean. And, uh, and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to just lift weights and eat everything. And I got up to almost 400 pounds. And there was a point where I like was looking in the mirror at almost 400 pounds just because my trap muscle was Mm -hmm. slightly above my shoulder. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Um, interesting. That lasted about 30 seconds before, you know, I caught another angle of myself and was like, Oh, no, I'm a piece of shit. Um, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to... I don't know that I'm ever going to feel super confident about how I look. I don't know that that's in the cards for me. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When uh, walking
3: around outside... Like right now, we're recording this in like what Beverly Hills or some shit like that. Uh, we think people think so. I've I'll, I'll got a good, good startup question for you. What do you think people think of me when they see me walking
2: around this neighborhood? You look like an Adonis. You do. That's really what you think. I think they think that. You look intimidating.
3: Intimidating. Yeah. Somebody who is very muscular. Yeah. Okay. How do you think you look like to people, not to yourself, to people? Regular 50-year-old lady walking her dog, 15-year-old girl getting coffee for her and her friends.
2: What are you you looking like? Well, I have flat feet. And I think my gait has been affected because I was so heavy for so long. And especially during my... um, uh, Formative years Whatever that is Whenever you're developing things like a gait I was really overweight And so I feel like If they're first spotting that And how my feet kind of cave in a little bit I think that's probably the first thing anybody sees Okay, go on Um, And then If I get a sense that they're looking at me I might try to hold my breath so that my stomach doesn't stick out too much. And then maybe they'll see somebody who has put some effort into it. Just some. I don't know. If they, if they know who I am, then they'll know that I've put a lot of effort into it.
3: But if they don't, they think like, oh, here's a guy that's trying a little bit. He's not a total slob.
2: I don't know today i feel a little slovenly mm-hmm. today today's not the best day for feeling like I'm not a total slob but no i am not a total slob today okay today uh today is a pretty good day but but then again i look at um pictures at the end of a cut and and like when i've really squeezed every last bit of water out of my tissue and and then even added carbs to pop mm-hmm. and i just think like Fuck! I'm not happy with that. But it's no longer that I'm too too big. Mm-hmm. I'm clearly not fat. Right. Um. You're not jacked enough. I'm not jacked enough. Do you think the people on the street think that when
3: they see you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Do you care about what they think?
2: Not really. Because you're an adult now. I think yes. I think by the way, um, having kids. Having a wife, uh, I have stopped caring to some degree about what other people think, which I, which is a relief. Yeah. Um. But I don't know that I'll ever solve how I feel. Sure. In a. In a really organic way, I can I can walk myself through my nonsense now. Sure. Which I was never able to do, prior. There was no amount of there was no point of view I could take where I could feel some sense of self-worth sure at all unless I looked at things external from me external from me being an actor is cool sure but that's nothing to do with me right me me the flesh and blood and my mind I still have to convince myself of self-worth sometimes. Yeah.
3: It is a daily struggle for many of us.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you right now. Um,
3: so I'll tell you two things. First of all, um, I'm going to share with you what, what I think you look like because I look at a lot of men. Yeah. <laughs> My wife thinks it's a problem. We're in therapy for him. Um, So I think the average person on the street... Probably thinks when they see you that that is a very muscular person who probably has a, a physical, intimidating job like a bouncer. Or, like, maybe he's in the movies playing a guy who's, like, ex-military and who hurts people.
2: That's pretty funny. The
3: way I would... Yeah. So, like, your triceps pop out too far from your elbows for it to be, like, mistaken for anything else. And your forearms are distinctly muscular and they have veins. When people see arms like that, they're like, what? It's like, this person could hurt me
2: and I better be nice to them.
3: That's what you look like.
2: That's what I I want to look like. Success. Yeah. I feel like it's a work in progress, though.
3: All, always, of course. Yeah. But I just think that, you know, it's like you have like a really souped up muscle car and you think you're not fast enough because you're only going 290. Right. You know? Uh, but to the average person that sees a car
2: fly by at 290, they're like, Pff! they just piss their pants. Yeah. Right. But admit, 290 muscle car, if you can get the extra fuel intake and do some work and get it to 300, you're fucking dude. Why do you think I look like this? Yes. Thank
3: you. Um, but. I think it's important to hear that every now and again. Yeah. Because you're like, I look at a lot of muscular people. It's part of my job. And I would never mistake you for someone who's kind of just trying. You're like, God damn, that motherfucker's not just trying. Big ass arms and traps and all that shit. So it's, it's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. Uh, and then secondly, um, and uh, thank you so much for, for chatting about
2: this. Thank you. I thing. appreciate it. Yeah, it a cathartic. Yeah. A lot of this is stuff I've not talked about. I can tell. Mostly the drugs. Well, a lot of it. The drugs
3: were the easily the least interesting part of this whole thing. We've all been through our shit with drugs. Yeah. Some of us are still in our shit with drugs. Uh, (laughs) uh, I was definitely looking at Scott the song guy for that Yeah, and Pookie. Pookie. (laughs) Um, Thank you. And hopefully you'll have me back on at some point to bother you and pester you more about your uh, in-depth reviews of the various diets that were in that middle part. of your We got to
2: do that. Yeah. I think it would be really important yeah. for
3: people to hear. Um, we'll sign some liability forms and make sure Beverly Hills diet doesn't sue us or some show. Is that even a thing anymore? Is that a company that's operating enough to sue us? I don't
2: know. Yeah. I think I have the book. Um,
3: <laughs> You're like, I pay good money for this book. Consider this a book review.
2: Yeah. Fuck. I hope I can find this book because it, it's like a, a hardcover book with an embossed, um, gold pineapple on the front. That's serious. It's fucking. It was a. I mean, this was like my bible. As yeah. I did the first time I did that diet, I was a little kid and I was like pineapple. Good. Sign me like, up. I'll eat fourteen pineapples. yeah. Goodbye enamel. Yeah. That's all I have to say. If you want an outro or, um, thank you, Doctor Mike. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait for the next one. Sounds great. And now for the Q&A. Josh. That was my Kermit the Frog.
4: Oh, I liked it. Will you do it again? No.
2: Okay. <laughs> this is for you from Josh. Hi, Josh. Josh says, um, through listening to this podcast, I'm trying to make the changes to
3: feel better and be healthier. Can you recommend any books about tracking macros and such for beginners? I'm trying to educate myself and I don't know where to start.
2: Totally. Um So, the two books off the top of my head are uh, Renaissance Diet 2.0. I think that's what it's called. And um, Fat Loss for Life. Is that it? Fat Loss for Life or Fat Loss Forever? Uh, Those are the books by uh, Dr. Mike Isratel and uh, Dr. Lane Norton. Those two books have so much valuable scientific data in them they cover the macros really well um those are my two favorite diet books um yeah i that's it right yeah awesome to say anything else no well that's that was easy thank you (laughs) mike
4: that was josh
2: josh thanks josh if you have a question that you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.
0: Hold up.